Welcome to Take Note Podcast. My name is Ananda Murari. I'm along with my co-host as normal, Kaylee Kanana. And uh, we're There's very happy normal today. about me. It's nothing normal about him, but <laughs> that I'm around him is is hopefully becoming more and more of a normal thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we're we're the Take Note Podcast, and the Take Note Podcast really our our vision and mission is really to connect to the artistry of devotion and and to connect to that that the beauty that creative expression has in our spiritual practice and all the things that come up for us as creatives as thinkers as mm. spiritual you know journeymen journey women journey people uh, as we move through our path uh, and try and discover the most essential things about the world around us and today we are joined by my dear friend Tim Kenty uh, I I met Tim about four years ago. We we're we we're figuring out it must have been four years ago, like 2016. And uh, I was at a rainbow gathering, actually. What's and a rainbow gathering? Please explain. A rainbow gathering for those that aren't in the. I mean, they they do happen worldwide, but just in case, it is a non-organization organization that. Uh, not that, that does not organize um gatherings of it's an illegal gathering <laughs> it's of... not illegal it's <laughs> it's like a nuanced understanding of the law but um yeah it's <laughs> since like 1972 people have been gathering in the woods uh in the middle of the summer national parks um to try and connect to the higher ideals of connecting with earth connecting with each other um, and so about every year there are, you know, about a thousand to up to 20,000, probably in its peak, uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds gathering in the forest, setting up camps. There's a lot of song, there's a lot of dancing, there's a lot of other things going on. And, uh, it's been historically a place for a lot of seekers to go. And we had gone there. Uh, four years ago, doing a Krishna camp, and it was actually a very blissful uh, experience. We had set up a really beautiful kirtan tent, and we had a fire going, and we were doing kirtan till midnight. And uh, and it was at that moment actually that Tim came, and uh, and that's when we had first met. And I actually met him first through his art of storytelling, uh, which I was transported by and moved by just the way that he has with words. And in getting to know him these past few years, being able to spend different, you know, lengths of time with each other in India, as well as time when I was in Colorado, it's just been a very wonderful experience. So thank you for being with us, Tim. Hey, thanks. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's uh, and and I think the most kind of inspiring thing that that led me to, because I had recently just been in contact again with Tim and. I think the biggest thing for me was last week we had spoken with our friends from the Know Thyself podcast, which was an amazing conversation. And we really dive deep into the conversation of alchemy uh, and the idea of individuation. And we just started getting into those principles um, and also seeing the corollaries between that, like kind of the Western understanding of alchemy, as well as the process of devotional service. And my experience of Tim is that he's always had this expertise. He studied both uh, and just his expertise in the in, in understanding 
the connections between that. And I wanted to uh, dive and expand the conversation with him today. Kelly, do so, you have anything on your mind? That sounds really exciting. I'm, um, I was left completely enthralled, captivated, and um, hyped from our last podcast. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity to continue along um, the same kind of line of thought. And uh, I love stories, so I hope you will tell some stories, mm. um, Tim. But um, yeah, it's just very nice to meet you. And I'm excited to delve a little bit deeper. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if I could take the responsibility of beginning a discussion, but just something I was thinking about today is um, comfort, the principle of <laughs> comfort. And um, I was inspired to, to kind of share this with you because it seems, you know, like from, from the initial, um, or from the onset of, of the spiritual path, the spiritual journey, when one takes to the spiritual path, one thing that we all tend to hear is that God, whoever God is for you, has constructed, fabricated, built the material world in such a way as to frustrate you, right? <laughs> Maybe I maybe it was just me, but this kept coming up at very early stages of my spiritual life. People kept telling me this. You know, you will be frustrated at every juncture of material life. And we ask ourselves this question, you know, like, why can't I get no satisfaction, right? Where is the, where is the comfort? It seems like material life is this constant pursuit for comfort. Um, I was just speaking very briefly with a friend today who lives in Assam. There's just been huge earthquakes mm. there in Assam, Myanmar, India. Obviously, the COVID situation in India is crazy. Um, I've just moved to London and just, you know, walking around um, amongst people again, seeing everyone with masks on still, um, dealing with, with life, you know. And I was just wondering, I was hoping we would be able to have a discussion around comfort and you know if there is such a thing as alchemy or uh, psychology or spiritual life if there's such a thing that you know a certain practice or process can facilitate kind of internal comfort even if external um mm comfort is is impossible perhaps internal comfort isn't the the right phrase but um satisfaction contentment belonging mm. these kind of feelings so i i really want to perhaps explore that a little bit today mm. cool <laughs> yeah i mean let's just dive right in tim what are do you have any thoughts kind of on i think that's a wonderful direction to go and i think you know, when I when I think of alchemy and kind of from our conversation last week, it is this process of transformation, of transmutation. And when I think of that, there is a lot of discomfort. There is a lot of inconvenience in many ways. So I think this is a great way to just to dive into the conversation. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. 
Sure. <laughs> it's cool. That was an unexpected uh, direction, you know? Yeah. There's a like hundred doors and, and that one, comfort. Wow. Um, yeah, comfort and convenience is the main enemy of progress, of human integrity and individuation. Mm. Comfort and convenience is the hardwired uh, escape. We just, this is how we fold in on ourselves and absolutely guarantee our egocentrism. If we look and see that our value system is really driven by comfort mm. and convenience, this is automatically egocentric, anti-DOS mentality. I think it's, I'm not such a pundit, you know, but I think it's in the fifth canto or something, Rishabh Dave's instructions, where he says that, you know, human life is meant for sacrifice. Mm. That's what the, the dharma, you know, like the dharma of water is flow liquid the dharma of fire is shine mm -hmm. the dharma of human is like yagya you know mm. we have little bumblebees they're working so hard like our friend kaylee here <laughs> <laughs> bumblebees working so hard all day you know uh collecting nectar pollinating stuff they're just working so that the whole matrix works so that the whole mm. web of life works and every little you know, uh, aerating little worm in the soil is doing the same thing, working, 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 so that the whole thing works for the whole family, for everybody, mm. you know? And then you got this unique piece of the puzzle, which is the human being. Mm. Um, so we're part of nature, obviously, because everything inside the universe is nature's product, um, but we stand up straight and we do, we have this free will thing, so nature has apparently produced the ingredients by which we can express free will, but that doesn't mean that we're separated from nature. So we also have a job to do in the big weaving of things. Mm -hmm. And um, according to the Bhagavatam, uh, to Rishabdev, that is sacrifice. Like the old school rishis, they're like, swaha, swaha, you know, all the stars, all the devas, all the ancestors, all the unborn descendants, all the like rivers, all the waters, all the lakes, all the mountains, swaha, swaha. Mm. So the face is black with smoke from sitting there making oblations for everybody in the whole matrix because that's mm. our job. The job of the human being in general, I don't mm. say like everybody should go form for a priestly vocation, but the job of the human being as an archetype in the web of nature is sacrifice uh, mm. and everybody's sacrificing their time and energy. The bumblebee sacrificing just as much, but his nature is pollinating and stuff. And our nature is sacrifice of sacrifice of making mm. sacrifices. We're meant to like weave heaven and earth together. We're meant to tap into the potential of the absolute and make sure that, that is distributing to everybody because everybody's our family mm. and our own psyche would be fractured. If we separate our little microcosm from the macrocosm, like, yeah, it's me. I have to get mine but I don't care about the macrocosm that's doing everything. Every little bumblebee, I owe my life to them. Mm. You know, I am in debt to every living being. Mm. And if I just want my own comfort, I immediately clip myself out <laughs> of the whole matrix of life. And I become a burden to life. I become dangerous. I become unqualified for the sacred uh, body that I'm occupying. Hmm. Is this a fine line? A human being is like an atomic bomb. It's a tiny little thing that has a big effect. It hmm. can have a big effect of bringing auspiciousness and actually feeding, uh, you know, the 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 finality of this whole business. What's going on here? There's something going on here for everybody who's included hmm. inside of it. And we have a pivotal place. We're not more important than the bumblebee, but we have a 
very particular role mm -hmm. and comfort and convenience is the sorry comfort and convenience is the the downfall of the human being to live from mm -hmm. my own comfort and convenience is completely contradictory to my dharma you know not just dharma like my dharma to do good it's like no like in the bodhisattva sense your dharma is to feed the awakening of all life mm -hmm. that's your duty because you're alive and because everyone else has made that possible including uncountable ancestors and everything mm -hmm. uh you have a debt and so you're born into debt and thankfully the human being repays their debt by doing something super sublime mm -hmm. and like you're talking about creativity you know and this is the last thing i'll say and i'll shut up for a minute but creativity begins with prayer creativity mm -hmm. begins with like the sacred the ceremonial like why do we have music why do we have storytelling why do we have painting why do we have dance because mm -hmm. somebody slipped into their human dharma and occupied the space of what it is to be a human you know in mm -hmm. communion with god and nature and it blew them away and they were like they wanted to tell the other people in the mm -hmm. clan this is what we're supposed to be doing but they couldn't blah, blah, blah. so they had to dance they had to like uh, you know paint and like tell stories and make music and all the beautiful creative things that make human beings nice and like something we can be proud to be part of mm. you know the part that we can be proud of it's all born from the original womb of creativity which is just occupying your dharma as a priest or priestess as a an intercessor on behalf of mm. all life i'm here to use my creative intelligence to link heaven and earth so that we can all get what we're here for. Mm. I yeah, I wanted to pick up on that point of like weaving or linking heaven and earth together. Um that's a really nice thought and I'm not entirely sure I, I understand it. Um I love I love everything you just said by the way. Uh I I resonate with it deeply. And I love how you brought in the, uh, you know, the purpose or the manifestation of creativity as being a, a, a way to express something mm. inexpressible, you know. <laughs> um, it seems like the, like the, this is the, the ridiculous paradox we experience as human beings. And perhaps this is what you mean as, you know, by weaving heaven and earth together is like, we are trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. We're trying to, you know, fit the unlimited into this limited vessel of, of human being. Um, and it seems like art is the only sensible way of expressing something so unfathomable. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm just really interested in, like, could you elaborate on that point of weaving heaven and earth together? One word that came to mind as you, as you were saying that is, like, embodiment, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Embodiment and, yeah, this, this other paradox we experience is, like, we are divine beings, but we are embodied as well, you know. Um, that's, that's uncomfortable for me a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, I, d I don't know if you could elaborate on that point, Tim. That was really interesting. I mean, this is, you're provoking the, the conversation, you know, like. Kelly's <laughs> <laughs> good. He just stokes. Yeah. Stoking right I mean, the conversation, the, the like, let's heal everything. Let's get right to it and stop pitter-pattering around. Because um, again, we're trying to keep uh, on the lookout for comfort. We don't want to have a comfortable conversation. Mm. 
That's not, we want to have a progressive conversation. We want to have a healing conversation. We want to have a conversation that produces the necessary and desirable outcome. And we have to stop and think, is the necessary and desirable outcome like comfort? Ah, oh, wow, that was really nice. And those were good mm. points. And like, cool, next podcast, next subject, next thing, mm. next, I'll consume another thing. Uh -huh. you know, there's infinite stuff to consume. It's comfort food. The whole internet is just a smorgasbord of comfort food. That's <laughs> junk food, some junk food too. <laughs> and because we need so much comfort, because we're in such an uncomfortable predicament, especially mm -hmm. collectively, globally, that's why everybody's binging, binging, binging. Mm -hmm. Because wow. if you just stop, something will happen to you. If you, I've done this, so I'm going to say from experience, if you go into a room, cover the windows, cover the doors, get somebody to just drop food outside the door once a day for seven days and you have no furniture inside and no computer and no phone and even nothing, no notebook to write. If you just put yourself in an empty room with nothing and take a big old cup of time, <laughs> <laughs> just seven days, take a cup of, of time, just be with time and see what it does to you. Mm. See what it brings up how uncomfortable it can be. Even if the weather's nice, you can have a little fan in there. You can, it doesn't, you don't have to be sweltering. You don't have to be actually suffering. Just deprive yourself of things that you could use for escapism mm -hmm. to not face what, where you're at right now. You wouldn't need actually to study the Bhagavad Gita or to do um, sadhan bhakti, or you wouldn't need to do anything or read anything or prop yourself up with anything. If you could just sit for seven days with yourself with no distraction, no escape valve, it would work. It would work you. Mm -hmm. And it would be very uncomfortable. So it depends what kind of conversation we want to have. And I propose, I, I presume that we're here to have a conversation that the outcome that we desire is not that kind of comfort. Mm. There's definitely another sense of comfort ah, to be home, you know, to be real, to just to come back. Um, the well, mystic... Oh. I, I think that um, one point that's just come up for me is, again, about art, is how art is a way of like, like conveying the uncomfortable and making it seem sweet, you know, like um, there are things that are very difficult to say like this, but as soon as you put a guitar in someone's hand, it, it, it becomes yeah. very easy to, to discuss such a thing. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy to have a, um, a conversation of substance, which might not be comfortable necessarily, but, mm. um, I'm, I also feel like I, I would love to know a little bit more about you as a person, Tim, because, mm. um, if you are the kind of guy that has spent seven days in a, in a completely like sense deprivatory room, um, I can only imagine that you've you've had a, a, an incredible life in other respects as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know if if you could w weave some of your personal life into um, into a, 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 a tale on comfort <laughs> and discomfort. That would be mm. really interesting as well. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll just have to let your request go inside and come out when it comes out, you know, cause I'm, I still, <laughs> cool. this is a conversation that like it branches, you know, so I don't want to lose that. We were talking about heaven and earth. And then I started mm. saying about comfort and every point there's an intersection, intersection, intersection. So, um, 
heaven and it's earth. Tem it's is, tempting yeah. to just go with, and we could do that too. If we were really ready to just like drop structures, we could just flow. Um, but I think for now, just to keep a little, you know, light rain on mm -hmm. things, because I want to navigate with you. I want to go somewhere. And it's like when you're sailing in the ocean in the middle of the night, there's millions of points of light to reference, but they're all moving except for mm -hmm. one, <laughs> you know, there's well, one I point. Just, I was thinking, cause yeah, Ananda titled the podcast, Alchemy of, of Nature and Spirit, right? Yeah. So I think this heaven and earth um, realm and weaving of, of these two spaces seems like a, um, a relevant topic. I'd love, I'd love for you to carry on along those lines. Yeah. Me too. I would love to carry on in that direction. So where, where do we go back in? Um, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, I really just want to appreciate what you said about art, making the uncomfortable accessible. Cause you guys, I'm sure you guys know this or maybe Ananda because of your musician life. Um, but you know blues music in America. Mm -hmm. We got blues music. Mm -hmm. You know where the word blues comes from? Being depressed. <laughs> yeah, but where? Why is it called blue? Like who connected mm -hmm. that color? Like why wasn't it the reds? You know? Oh, you got or you know why the blues? Yeah, and it's because you know nowadays you go to uh, the pharmacy if you need some allopathic medicine. You get a little plastic container that comes. It's orange plastic container because that stops the UV light from damaging the medicine. Mm. But in the old days, medicine used to come in blue glass. Uh. So down in the South where there is a lot of grief, uh, a very heart wounded history of human relations and a collective identity discovery, um, you had a, a form of music appear called mm. the blues, which was about, I mean, it became so beautiful thing you know it became art but it was about surviving mm. it was about surviving indigestible pain mm. and so what they would say down in the south if someone was sick was well you need to go in the bathroom behind the mirror you open up the mirror and there's the blues and you take that the medicine is the blues is the medicine cabinet mm. you know and from a Gaudiya Vaishnava perspective you say like What's Goranga Mahaprabhu come to show is the path of salvation is separation. It's not just come home and chant, uh, come to the path and chant 16 rounds and distribute books and you're going back home. He's like, no, that's not what he's showing. He's showing, mm. you know, give your heart to God until it makes you crazy with separation. And you're grinding your face on the wall all night. <laughs> and the only way that you can deal with it and simultaneously paradoxically progress is by mm. singing the blues. Viparlam Kirtan, you know, the essence of the whole Vedas is the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the essence of the Bhagavatam is the tenth canto, and the essence of the tenth canto is the Rasa Pantyadaya, the five chapters of Rasa Lila. And the essence, you know, essence of the Vedas, which are the essence of sacred thought, someone could say in their subjective opinion. The essence of sacred human thought, you distill it, distill it, distill it, distill it, distill it, distill it, and you end up with Gopi Gita, mm. Viparlam Kirtan. The song of love and separation. So the blues, the medicine, is pain. And the disease is separation. And that separation mm. is fractured out everywhere. Of course, in the in most existential sense, it's heaven and earth are divided and the soul and God are separated. And But it's also internal. That reflects everywhere. 
the, the, the main theme is that heaven and earth are divided in our heart and mind. I'm embodied in this world and I'm in conflict with being embodied because religion told me that I should be in heaven or I should be in Vaikuntha or something. And this world is either sinful or Maya or something terrible and evil and dangerous. So I'm, I'm living in a world that's dangerous and against God, but my mind is identified with, with God, but I can't, how can I practice the practice when all my instruments to practice the practice are made of earth and fire and my lips and my body and mm. it's impossible to uh, to get the, the result, you know, new life come when mommy and daddy come together, they make a new life, you know, and if mommy, mother earth, mother nature and daddy spirit that animates everything, if they're separated, you're not getting new life no matter how hard you bang your head on the door of like mm. affirming your spiritual ideals, if you are uh, dividing heaven and earth, if you are in conflict with being embodied, mm. your psyche is mismatch. So there's different ways to do things, you know, some people there's a path of transcendence, you know, a path of like just completely detached from this world. That's a way that people have been doing for thousands of years. Mm. That works for ascetics. That works for wandering mendicants who just detach from society completely and they're ready to like, if food lands in my lap today, I'll eat. If not, I can fast. That's, that works. But if you're going to live in the world and have family and be part of the perpetuation of the human species, which is, has a reason to exist in the matrix of nature and the mm. cosmos and the big picture, we have a reason to be. And that reason will stop before all ascetics. Then there's a path of transmutation, which means changing your relation with the, this material energy. So heaven and earth, maybe some people, they don't need to reconcile heaven and earth. They just go heaven so hard that they just lift anchor and go into the absolute, you know? Very few people have been able to do that, but still people have been doing it for thousands of years in all kinds of traditions. It's a real thing and it will continue to be a real thing. But it's a thing that if you mix that into human society and culture, A, you split two things. You put yourself in a conflict that is irreconcilable, that either destroys the integrity of your transcendence, you know, because you're grounded here, or it puts you in internal violent conflict with your life here so that you feel chronic unconscious shame for being alive. It's very hard to feel love of God and devotion and have your heart melt with receptivity to receive the grace that will show you every day what you need to know. It's very hard to feel that when you are chronically ashamed of being alive. Mm. <laughs> Healing is necessary. And when two things come together, like healing and creativity, I think are inseparable things. When things are lined up properly, when the elements of life, we're relating properly with things, the structure of life, which is why I'm interested to talk about alchemy and nature and spirit and stuff, because that's all about knowing the laws, just like the mechanics of how it works. If you know how it works, you get the result you need. If you don't know how it works, you're going to have perpetual chaos. So, yeah, I lost my own thought, but maybe it's because I'm supposed to turn over the sound to your mouth. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just appreciating this point of um, the shame of existing and how deep I feel like that is in this kind of um, 
existential crisis that living entities go through in in our attempt to exist and and I've often thought when we were at a music festival one time, we were holding some programs at a music festival and our reflection, I was with my friend Dave Amadova and our reflection was we go through these huge arrangements and massive, you know, spend millions of dollars, travel hundreds and hundreds of miles in order to come and like put on these music festivals in the middle of the forest, in the middle of, you know, wherever we put, we put music festival or just gatherings of all sorts right? To affirm our existence, to affirm that I exist and everyone here is affirming that I exist because we all agreed to be here. And just the inadequacy that that often actually the kind of shallow type of, of existence affirming experiences that we create as human beings, the shallowness and the inadequacy in comparison to really understanding our embodiment and and understanding our our i like how you brought up again this role of of human existence the dharma to perform sacrifice to awaken life uh, and to utilize that source in ourself yeah so then just this shame of uh, of existence and 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 our, our complicated ways that we cope with that <laughs> You know, um, Ananda sent me a book by Thomas Merton called Raids on the Unspeakable. Mm. And I understood about 0.3% of it. <laughs> but, um, but the 0.3% uh, the of it I did understand was very much along these lines that Ananda's bring up of like the necessity of, of affirmation as far as existing goes like although this book was written you know before social media was a thing you can see how it's still applicable you know w what more is the selfie than just a um a call and a plea for you know acknowledgement and affirmation of existence and this is something like thomas merton was talking about he was like you know actually you know, we will experience a form of suffering if our if our existence is not validated. You know, not even like if our if you know, not that we're being adored, but just validated. Just you exist. You know, it's so difficult for people to to live when they don't have this affirmation, this confirmation that yes, I am real. I exist. I am part of this world you know um so we we can see it as shallow but it you know it seems to me that um it's almost like a necessity it's like essential um if we don't have spiritual maturity we mm -hmm. need some validation you know um some confirmation that yes i am like a, a real thing <laughs> So what what is that? You know. <laughs> ah, I just feel like you're like driving a spear through my heart. <laughs> you know, we can think we can use different languages and different things to have a conversation that sprawls boundaries. But for for the most part, I like to speak in the language of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Vedanta. Uh, it's just 
the best palette, you know, for human conversations, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other necessary things also, I find, but Vedic, you know, as it's been passed down to us, Vedic cosmology or like ontology is that we are a jivatma. You know, this body, this face is moving and animated and alive and all the, uh, all the living beings, all these forms are moving because there's a jivatma inside. And that jivatma is a localized unit of thinking, feeling, and willing. Mm. It's individuated, individual, in that one jivatma doesn't like a drop of water like melt into another. If two jivatmas would touch, they don't melt. It stays. Somehow, This uh, God's design, this little spark of consciousness, it enters into bodies without like melting into them. It keeps its localized nature. And it can like contact through sentiment with other living beings. But they don't melt. It's like per permanently, like indestructible little unit of thinking, feeling, willing, individual consciousness. But it has no identity. It has no identity. And so let's just say that it's not the general story, the like well-worn way of expressing things. You know, even if we have authentic knowledge about something, sometimes we say the same thing over and over so long that the words run dry. And it doesn't mean anything anymore because we've said it so much, you know, to this world that we're changing the transmigration of bodies and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But maybe there's a way to tell the same story with another language. And we could say that actually the Jivatma, since eternal time, is looking for one thing and one thing only. And it's her Swarup, her own form, my body, my me. And a spirit being cannot be satisfied with a temporal material body. Obviously, they don't match. Mm. So... We're so terrified, you know, death, everyone's afraid of death, but maybe it's not biological. Maybe it's because the jivatma is built by instinct. I need to be someone. I need to be someone. And I need to be someone so I can relate with other someones and be seen by them and have exchanges between sentient beings. Maybe it's like hardwired into consciousness, the jivatma. I need to be someone. And to be someone, I need a body that's different from your body so that our bodies and voices can exchange we can have relationships. We can create things. I need to create and relate. And I can't do that as just like, I am a unit of thinking, feeling, and willing. I have to have a body. So maybe it's not karma and punishment and unqualification to be in the presence of God that drives us, you know, necessarily. Maybe we don't have to say it like that to drives us to take a body again and again. Maybe it's our inborn, passionate, one-pointed, and undiminishing eternal desire to be someone so that I can be in relationships. And we don't know until a certain point, like we don't become conscious that the person I'm above all trying to relate with and have a body to relate with also because he has a body, they have a body, the divine couple. But we don't maybe articulate that even at the depths of our chitta until we get like parampara knowledge or something. Mm. But maybe above all, like the whole human, the whole spiritual quest and the whole crucible of samsara it's just because we want one thing, the one thing that we're created for, and it's to occupy our own identity, and identity has a body. If we're created in the image of God, well, God's identity has a body. It's mm -hmm. personified identity. So I think this, this pain of, yeah, the selfie to I need to be comforted, I, I need to be affirmed, this is really our predicament, mm -hmm. is that... Um, in the depth of our being, even as devotees, I will say as devotees, we're in a particular conflict inside because we have so much philosophy about personalism 
and we have so much also by the by causeless mercy subjective experience i think devotees have actual experience little drops in the sankirtan or you know with the deity like people are getting what we don't deserve because that's that's what we connected with it's, it's not about earning or deserving it's about causeless mercy reigning and you just have to show up at the right place mm. and if you're how receptive you are how well your cup is formed is how much you're going to catch of that causeless unearnable undeservable it's just coming if you're there you know and if you can catch it but for devotees that puts us that aggravates and out a process of alchemy of inner conflict that i think is more extreme than anyone else because we are intellectually affirming personalism identity we are spiritually touching a sense of attraction and value beyond all things for the personality of godhead the path of personalism and yet in the depth of our chitta if we could go deep into our unconscious we have no idea who we are hmm. outside of this body if you took away this body and what my initiated name is and what my service is in the temple and my role in the social structure if you took that all away at the level of your soul you cannot say one word about who you are, most devotees. And that is a serious division of like, yeah, personalism, personalism, das, das, das. And at the deepest repressed root, I cannot affirm myself. I cannot, mm. I'm not seen. I'm not seen, no matter how many selfies, no matter how many services I do and Lakshmi points I get, or how many Bhagavatam Saptahas I give. So everyone like, you know, even if I become a sannyasi and I'm making disciples everywhere, like, look, I'm a das, I'm a das, I'm a das. Can't you see it? But it's not good enough if I can't see it. In the Cheto Darpana, if I can't look in my heart and see who I am and know, oh, it's true. Okay. To be able to relate with God, who has a transcendental Satchitananda body, is not possible with a gross material body or a subtle material body. I would need to have Satchitananda senses mm. to behold him and know, resolve the ambiguity in my heart. This is all real or not? I have these feelings in the Kirtan. I have these feelings reading these Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita. I've had many feelings for many years, but until I realize, until I can perceive God and my relation with God and that I am of the same substance, until I have the subjective knowledge of that, the actual experiential knowledge of that, it's not proven. And that is a wound in my heart. Mm. And there's a lot of ways that... Um, Devotees are in a very particular kind of alchemy of this like need for affirmation and there's a an unaddressed Split of like fighting so hard so sincere so sincere so much sacrifice so much for personalism and Yet suppressing the fact that I'm completely infected with impersonalism if I have no identity eternal identity if I cannot identify myself That that needs to be treated mm. that needs to be treated because all of my pious activities and sukriti making is not going to resolve this. Mm. That will help me attract the circumstances, the ingredients that I need to do the alchemy of individuation at an eternal level. And that individuation is the one thing every living being is here in this samsara for and is suffering of, for not having. And that's... <laughs> I, like, I like that you defined alchemy as this process of conflict. And just as like a small, small thought to interject, it it brought to mind that you know, you could say on a on a kind of global scale, there's a lot of conflict that we're distracted by. Hmm. Then on an you know on like a smaller scale, like the conflict of my life. So the kind of the um, 
juxtaposition of, of the real conflict, the real like process of transformation. And when I'm distracted by the false conflict, when I'm distracted by the insignificant conflict or like the temporary conflict, how, how that takes away my energy from actually investing in the real conflict, this alchemy, this, this, the process of actual transformation, the process of realization, which you're describing the process of individuation and the angst and the, the existential dread as a friend, Jay Jagannath often says that that angst and the existential dread that I'm experiencing without actually addressing it by engaging in with real conflict or this process of conflict alchemy, I'm, I'm expending all of that energy on false and temporary conflict. Mm -hmm. Trying to, trying to mask or trying to find an answer really in the wrong, in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. Just a thought I was having from what you were sharing. There, there's something, um, you know, we hear, we hear about you. You were talking to him about the the kind of like almost diseased mentality of a um, a, a nestled in personalism, and um, this yeah. these thoughts of of conflict very interesting because I was reading. Uh, reading the bag of time this morning and Prabhupada's making this point of um, jaundice, you know, how we, we suffer from this spiritual jaundice and um, part of that affliction is the desire to consume mundane, um, you know, kind of uh, our mundane appetite, you know, for literature or for, you know, um, material conflict, uh, mundane conflict. Um, and how the, the way you treat that jaundice is, you know, with the, the sugar candy of genuine spiritual topics, mm. um, especially the Srimad Bhagavatam. But at first, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's very distasteful. You know, mm. there is definitely a conflict there. Um, and it's very interesting. I think this is a point perhaps a lot of people can um, testify to. Um, even something as simple as like chanting Japa, chanting Hare Krishna. Um, you know, like it was so difficult for me to just stay awake and chant Japa to begin with, you know. Mm. Just the act of just keeping my eyes open and chanting Hare Krishna was difficult. And I could feel such a resistance, such an internal conflict, you know. There was there was a, a part of me that really wanted to dedicate myself to, you know, to self-discovery to connection to like um to kind of uh cleansing this this mirror of my heart you know to develop this satchit ananda uh senses to perceive something transcendental mm. but then you know how do we you know how how can a, a a genuine process of alchemy help us to navigate through and past initial discomfort and not be dissuaded and um keep the 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 goal in mind and and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel you know um because i think for a lot of a lot of people it's very nice to hear these things but when the when the bitter taste actually starts to appear after some time it's very easy to feel discouraged. 
Mm. Um, and it's very easy to perhaps retreat back into the mundane or back into nature and shy away from pursuance of spirit or transcendence. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on mm. like spiritual perseverance through the discomfort of alchemy, something like that. Mm. Yeah, this is a it's an epic subject, and it's I mean maybe the most important polarity for a human being to investigate about their own experience is like pleasure and pain. Just go all, just investigate them, experiment, learn more and more and like seek, like what is real? What is the pleasure that I'm feeling? What is the pain that I'm feeling? And then what is real pleasure and what is real pain? And, you know, they don't gray out, they don't merge, but if you go deep enough, you'll end up, I mean, Goranga Mahaprabhu, his, he's the supreme enjoyer. Why would the supreme enjoyer come to grind his face on the wall and feel like absolute existential misery where every second feels like a million years of misery? He's like zooming in on the pain until every second experientially takes thousands of years to pass through because it's so deep. Why would the supreme enjoyer who's like Dharma, his like being is like, enjoy, enjoy taste. I'm made of taste and taste is for me. Why would such a person come and apparently his, you know, if we take like the archetypal image of this mendicant in the Gambira, suffering like we've never seen any human being suffer like that, so intense that he's like sweating blood and like so explosive in his heart that it blows his joints apart <laughs> and so deep that it pulls him back in together and he's just like, ah, oh, his body is like being ravaged by the level of suffering that he's feeling. Mm. But who's, who's do, going through that? One, the supreme enjoyer whose only business is enjoying, and two, uh, our teacher. <laughs> no, the person that if we're devotees, we've chosen to follow his path. Mm. So something we need to think about there, about pain. And, you know, we heard like prema, whether it's meeting or separation, love, divine love of God is completely nectar. It might look pretty terrible from outside from someone who's not initiated into the mysteries of love they might look like oh like i don't want to why would you be in that kind of sampradaya like why would you do that mm -hmm. but from the inside you know if we could cry for krishna you would just all you would cling like let me never stop crying let me never stop this crying let me like let me feel this piercing and let these tears flow out for the rest of my life if i could like if i had to lose my job if i had to like be abandoned but if i could keep feeling this more and more for the rest of my life it would be worth it mm. So there's something, a relationship between pleasure and pain, but not on the surface where we're living in our, the material orientation is completely dualistic, where the, here the knee-jerk reaction to the dualism that's so awful is, is oneness. But it's not oneness. The answer to uh, existential fragmentation, being split in two, being existentially in conflict with your being, the answer for that division is not oneness, it's complementarity. So something we need to see, I think, about pleasure and pain. And so if at the deepest root, what's honest, because for me, I don't know about you guys, but if I just feel honestly what I feel, whatever it is, it feels great. It's, oh, it's such a relief mm. to be with what I'm really in. I don't care what it is as long as it's real. That's like I made up my mind a long time ago that I'm not looking for peace from the path. I'm looking for honesty, first of all. 
Mm-hmm. I want to live an honest life, honest with myself, honest with God, no show, no, nothing to prove. I just want to live my life with you. I want to live honestly my relationship with God and with my own identity. Honestly, that's enough for me. Whatever I would rather, even if it's grievous, if it's the real thing, I'd rather that than something more comfortable that's mm-hmm. not real. Like that is like kryptonite. And that's the great struggle is, again, the comfort, because comfort lures us into something that's not real. If the human being is meant for sacrifice and Goranga is showing like the ultimate, what is yagya, is to weep, stand on the earth and weep for heaven, for God. You are connecting, you know, on behalf of everyone. They say, Goranga, they're dancing with their hands up and it's purifying the worlds above and the feet on the ground is going down to the lower planets. And like, is that just poetry or are they talking about really he's connecting heaven and earth? He's really sending a charge of truth and honesty into the whole creation that will like ripple effect, push everyone toward honesty back towards reality. Cause we're all way off course. Mm. So I just want to say that, if at the root, if we could go deep enough into honesty, we would find the pain of separation. I just want to know my relation with God, for example. I want to know who I really am in your eyes. Not I'm, you know, I grew the Catholic Church or whoever society told me that I'm sinful and fallen because of all these things. And then for, I projected that's how God sees me. But that's not, I never asked God, like, how do you see me? I just picked it up from other people, what I must be in front of his eyes. So if I could go deep enough into my honest truth and see what do you think of me, and oh my God, and then I would feel great separation. Like, why can't I be close to that person, the one person who actually sees me? I'm looking for all this affirmation with my selfies and stuff, but there's one person who can see me, and I'm not looking for his affirmation. If I take my own pulse, I'm looking for everybody else's who can't see me no matter what. But he can, and if I would let him see me, just like, you know, what happens when Mahavishnu glances on the cosmic creation? The whole thing comes alive just by being seen by him. If we could come in prayer and in communion into the presence, I'm not doing this to finish my rounds. I'm doing this to be in your presence. And you, when the glance of the one we're coming to be seen by, like darshan doesn't mean I'm coming to see you. Darshan means I'm coming to be seen by you. I'm presenting myself at your altar so that I may have the great benefit of being seen by you and come alive because I'm like a dormant universe of possibilities until your life-giving glance falls on me. But mm-hmm. I have to just do my part and come in front of you, put myself at your feet, at your altar, through prayer, communion, to mood. Mm-hmm. And if you glance on me, boom, I become real. <laughs> and in relation, when that wakes up, you can't have separation until there's meeting. Once you know that, oh my God, I do have someone and you're my everything. Then we can feel, I think, at the depth, the pain that's real and would make us real. If we could live the fullness of pleasure and the fullness of pain, we would have a full real life. And the real pain is about separation from that person. Mm. But there's a, how are we going to get to the place where that pain of separation is when it's covered over with impersonalism? We're afraid to feel like pain because of how we've been trained. by, And so we depersonalize. And then we have like the two hands of impersonalism are exploitation and apathy. Mm. you know it's the other's not a person i can just take 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 like the internet consumption i can just how can i especially if i'm trained in sublime philosophy and i have a taste for self-realization how can i pass hours on the internet watching youtube and stuff like that unless i'm apathetic 
And how can I be that apathetic unless underneath I don't feel that I'm really a person? And how can I exploit others, just consume, consume, consume other people's little TikToks and videos and what to speak of pornography? I'm not thinking that that's a, that's a human being. You know, pornography is like a plague. Why? Why is it even possible? Because you think there's no person there. Mm. And how is it possible, especially for someone with ideals and values and wanting to be compassionate and self-realized, to indulge in things like that? Because you don't think there's a person in here either. Mm. And so it feels really natural and real to space out on the internet and consume because you go blank. And that connects with and validates the inner suppressed feeling of impersonalism. Mm. I'm not here. I'm mm. the ambiguity of my identity actually reaches out to the internet above all things and any kind of escapism, but the ambiguity of identity reaches out to what it connect with a place an experience where I can not feel and not think. And that can also be in like religious society. You can like go so hard into your duty in a religious society that you're not feeling what you're going through. It's not about my process. It's about my duty and my seva and all this. Escapism is a sucking void of impersonalism, which is the cancer of all pain. All grief is coming out of impersonalism. But impersonalism is only there because we're afraid to go deep enough to where the separation is. The missing piece is not that there's nothing there. The missing piece is that there's an unfulfilled love there and that would turn the tide. But it takes so much bravery to override our like acquired instinct for comfort, to go into the pain of separation, that we would rather cover it with impersonalism that makes our whole life a suffering. We would, and then we just project into a world that's like collapsing on itself. Mass extinction being provoked, it's self-destruction because what's inside, I am nothing. Voidism. So we're boom, magically projecting absolute nihilistic obliteration to the world. But if we could go deep enough to the pain of separation underneath, consciously know I'm, I'm digging for that and feel it, which is worse and better than anything. What we would project to the world is a connection of heaven and earth, that it's about calling for God. You call for God when you really feel the need. And that makes a link, a power that makes this dynamic of the relation between servant and master come alive and do something. If we could feel that pain, we could heal all other pain. But because we don't want to feel that pain, we create all other pain. It's alchemy, you can't, you can't stop pain. But what pain is the wise one to live? And what pleasure corresponds? These kind of things we have to think about. You can't stop pain, but what pain? If you avoid the pain that would heal everything, you kill everything. So we should understand that there's like laws of nature working here. There's a way to resolve this whole issue, global existential issue. And it's by crying for God. I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling uh, deeply churned. And um, one thing that really stuck out to me was this kind of, when you explain Darshan, to be seen and i've heard that definition but then i i was confronted with my conception that i have a choice to see that i can go and i can see god or i can you know i can see who i want to see me um and then just that that disconnect between um the the two or rather the the way you kind of explained exploitation and apathy being the two limbs of impersonalism and how that's that's the you know i often think of there's um, uh, the mantra that prayer that's written to Sri the Prabhupada or Prabhupada 
actually wrote for his disciples to recite nirvishesha shunyavadi mm-hmm. right that that his whole goal in coming was to remove this cancerous plague from human society that the, this cancerous plague of impersonalism of apathy and exploitation and just in my own experience of life like how much impersonalism i'm you know infected with in the terms of apathy and the fact that that apathy arises because i am i i res, i i'm resonating with a within within a void energy of consumption i'm resonating with that that impersonal energy that i'm experiencing in myself and so then i see it outside of myself and i resonate and therefore i waste time i i that was just very um very profound like attracts like Mm. Yeah. I'm your your like um articulation has left me speechless almost. <laughs> and uh yeah. You know sometimes you get this thing like if you hear a song come on somewhere it takes you back to a specific moment in time. You have connotations with that song. Um you know, and you were talking about darshan and, and allowing yourself to be seen. And, um, you know, I was I was just taken back to like this morning in my, in my day um, and how there's this constant like um, space out that I go through in life where, you know, uh, spiritual practice becomes like a... a monotony it becomes a duty it becomes like just another kind of add-on to my identity or my character mm-hmm. um and it's like something about just going through the motions you know um something that has always really attracted me to jagannath are the mm-hmm. the eyes and how those eyes if you allow them they can stare right through you they completely penetrate you and um mm-hmm that can be quite unsettling because i feel like that there is a although there is this exploitation this apathy we're talking about especially um online allowing ourselves to be consumed and and seen in a certain way um there is definitely like a well there's there's a vulnerability you know to allowing yourself to truly be seen you know, so if I think that I'm a despicable person, I don't want to be seen by God because I think that God right. is pure, God is truth, God is love. And I've got like, wait a minute, like I need to be ready. Like I need to prepare myself before I allow Jagannath's eyes to penetrate me, you know, and actually like see. Um, so it's, it's like overcoming that, that fear of, I guess, being vulnerable. Um, you know to god and and then that um in order to counteract that i guess there's different masks we wear you know um and that's something i've found just like walking around london the past couple of days you know i'm i've started to walk like people walk in london even after like two days you know there's like a certain way i've seen people walk that's like i'm confident i'm powerful yeah <laughs> Like, that's how I want people to see me because, 
I'm, yeah. you know, I'm scared to buzz around like a happy bumblebee, and and that's vulnerable, you know. Um. So. Yeah, I I just find that everything you're saying very profound, and, and especially this um. This this merging of of pleasure and pain, heaven and earth, and going deep enough to. Um, going going deep into the into the vipra lumbar, you know, going deep in into that pain of like separation. Um, yeah, very profound points. Mm. Mm. I just want to specify. I don't mean to say the merging of pleasure and pain. I mean the marriage of pleasure sure. and pain. How life is one thing that alternates. I mean, it's that's the DNA of life. Is there's a dark person? He's very sham. And there's a golden person. She's very bright. They are the polarity of life, and everything expands from there. Their their encounter is so dynamic that everything has come from that, and everything tracing back to its source has the same DNA. So healing, in every sense, is about reestablishing the couple, the, the what the alchemists call the holy marriage. They're not saying merging, because merging would be like uh -huh. losing identity, losing dynamic. You need two that makes a perpetual motion machine each mm -hmm. one feeds the other if you have a, an experience of meeting with god with the divine then afterwards you can pine for it you can think oh god where did i lose that how do i find it again you know mm -hmm. and you can i can't want i can't have any interest in chocolate ice cream until i've tasted it and then like wow now i like that you know you can't feel longing or separation for something you haven't experienced so a meeting will automatically bring a separation, a longing. It's natural. You don't have to force it or impose it. And mm. that separation by going into it will culture such an attraction, such a focus and reaching, like sentiment is reaching for the object for which you are longing. And it will bring it back in a new way after having been starved with great passion for that encounter. When it comes again, it will be bigger than the first time. Mm. And when it passes again like the tide going out it's going to bring a separation which is more intense than the one before and this is the dynamic of bhajan that our this is the mysticism of Gaudiya vaishnavism is how do we enter into the polarity engine where pleasure and pain we're living authentic honest pleasure and pain about our real self that's not contaminated and like warped by impersonalism because we don't need to escape we don't need to escape being intimidated by the pain anymore. We're ready for the real pain and we like choose as like proper warrior hearted human being. Mm. I'm ready to face it. I'm indestructible. I've died millions of times. Bring it, <laughs> you know? So that's what we're trying to get to. Gaudiya Vaishnavism begins, what Goranga is giving begins from a stage that most devotees have not come to yet. Mm. We are, as a as a, a a global phenomenon, we are a kanishta society. We are kanishta, you know, mean neophyte, but literally means kanishta without nishta, unsteady. We don't have this rolling momentum of pleasure moving into pain. I feel the ah attraction for Krishna, then I feel the pain, and that pain brings new attraction, and we're not living like that. Mm. There's big gaps, you know, broken all the hours I can spend on the internet or whatever. There's big gaps where I just like disconnect from the pleasure and pain and I go back into impersonalism and like apathy and exploitation and it's so chopped up that there's no way without the engine rolling to really mm. enter. It's like a plant. It gradually grows and it blossoms and it has a flower and it has a fruit and it like, but if it, you keep cutting it down, it grows and then you chop 
when it grows and you chop, you can spend your whole life plateauing at one level of spiritual realization because steadiness is necessary. Mm -hmm. Continuity is necessary. And we can't have continuity when we have an inner fracture of the polarity of life. There's a conflict between them. They're not married. They're not rolling one into the other, expanding each other in a perpetual engine machine. There's like, this means not that. And da, 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 da. Oh, now I'm completely in Maya for like three hours on YouTube videos or whatever, you know? Now I'm gonna do some serious sadhana bhajan. And like, now I'm gonna do, it's like, it's too, this is the polarity of life is not like spacing out and being sincere. The polarity of life is pleasure and pain in a transcendental state of being. That, that is a, a couple that produces infinite creativity. That has produced the entire cosmos and all of our soul existence. That has produced millions of Vaikuntha worlds. If that happens in us, the polarity of life comes together. What creativity will come out of you and what healing potential will flow out of you is unspeakable. Because mm. you plug into, you know, Prabhu's mercy. Mm. Become a participant. I, I appreciate this distinction between our, our experience and it's something that I was thinking about actually last night this experience of progress when you know as you described the plant that grows it's progressing and then cut and it grows and then cut it's progressing it's making movement it feels like growth but the the actual difference the the drastic difference between that cycle of polarity that is expanding right it's just this plant it's just this small plant that is being repeatedly cut and so that that difference of growth and expansion is very poignant to me yeah it's leashed we're on a leash i would say collectively yeah. you know the you you can read chaitanya bhagavat or something and you see about these personalities you know nityananda ram goranga mahaprabhu how they're roaring how they you know the world trembles when they chant and what they do just when Nityananda Prabhu and his crew roll up into a village, what happens to that whole society mm. for 30 days, nobody eats in the village because they don't know when it's day or night. They're just transported. And are we, are we taking that seriously? Do we like actually allow that story to have some kind of reality in us? Or is it like, that's a nice, that's nice. And like, yeah, I believe it. And we're telling ourselves, I believe it, but at what level that it's true, are we really connecting with it? Because mm. what we're doing in comparison, we're not, those followers we're not following that we're something else mm. we're mm. productive in like a western way we're productive we're like doing programs and young college people are becoming interested in our discussions and we're like making mm. records and we're like distributing books and we're do we're, we're productive but we're plateau totally plateau and mm. one way is like the plant is growing and then it's like hitting a roof but it's also like being on a leash you know if we were really carrying if we were inheritors of the current of gora shakti <laughs> and we were off the leash as a mm. society what we would do for this planet mm. we could tip you know write a different future than what we're seeing on the news right now and i think that if we don't dare to think that like honestly and strategically and like invest in like yep i'm going to presume that we're here to change the world and that this is just my you know the base the smallest thing that i could do to be worthy to hope to enter into the presence of Radha Krishna one day is save the world. Like that's a small price to be in the presence of Radha Krishna. Like how highly do we value the presence of have eternal residence in Navadvip Dham? Hmm. How highly do we appreciate that? What would be the price? Not that you can earn it or deserve it, but just to be like coherent with being part of that 
world, that mm. realm of love and compassion, that integrity of that plane, how are you going to tune up to that level? The least you could do is be part of saving the world. If you would dare in integrity to say, yeah, I want what to speak of. I want to be the Dasi of Radharani. Shut up. <laughs> Don't even mm. dare to think that unless you're ready to give your whole life for all living beings, for the compassion of like the ultimate ideals with no leash and no boundary. And if you're going to live in a little box of mm, your comfort and convenience mm. uh, version of bhakti yoga, don't dishonor our queen by pretending that 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 her her service is so cheap. Mm. The least we could do to be worthy even to pray for that service is try and save the world. Sincerely. You don't have to be a renunciate. Like we started talking at the beginning, there's a path of transcendence where you just completely like come out from, I don't need to have a job. I don't need to pay bills. I don't even need to worry about what I'm going to eat today. You set yourself free. But there's another path that was Bhaktivinoda Thakur's prophecy about Namahat, families, like following, matching with the model of Navadvip Dham, you know, village, families. You know, mm. it's not everybody hiding in the temple and it's not everybody just detaching from the world. It's like investing in the world. But like Srivast Thakur, my house is a space of the absolutes pastimes. This is a, this mm. place belongs to him. And I'm going to form with my family, with my deity in the middle. And I'm going to align with other families. And we're going to roll a healing of nature and spirit by living a human culture, mm. families, bloodlines, you know, villages, but where it's all about being worthy to pray that I may enter into your nitilila. I may be in, realize a, a spiritual body made of pure love. How, mm. if I have any impersonalism, apathy and exploitation, can I imagine that I will manifest a body that is substantive of pure love? So I have what I have. I'm here mm. on this earth and I'm gonna take the ingredients that are available to me now and whether I can do it or not do it, I'm gonna live as if so that I at least have the integrity to pray. I would like, I'd really like to make my home in your eternal pastimes and service. I would really like that. And so that I can feel in my own conscious permission to really abandon to that prayer, the lifestyle of praying for that. Mm. I'm going to live a life in this world that's downright revolutionary for love. Some people want the path of transcendence, they renounce. And some people, they take a path of transmutation and you dig in, but not because you're attached. Mm. Because it's your strategic response. And it's just how to live an honest life. If we're not full on revolutionaries, like you don't understand even that you're going to die and you're trying to make comfort and convenience here. If comfort and convenience is what dictates your choices, you are totally sleeping. I am totally okay. sleeping. If that's, that is not um, a factor in a real human being's calculations, comfort and convenience do not factor. Mm. That is not relevant to the equation of being a real human being. And at least we have to be human being before we could be Vaishnav. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Dare I say. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we wanted to get uncomfortable. That's a, that's a, it's a wonderful, wonderfully uncomfortable charge. And the world is helping us. There's a pandemic yeah. everywhere. There's all this, like everything's falling apart. Like we have full permission. Just what are you going <laughs> to yeah. plan your future for your comfort and comfort. come on look at the world it's giving you all of this is happening is not a problem there's so many devotee friends of mine they're freaked out and they're sending conspiracy theory stuff and i'm like don't you have any faith in yoga maya don't you have any faith in parameshwar like this is all to our favor mm. this is 
not to be resolved. This is to be aligned with and run with it. You know, mm. we are being given full permission to pull out the stops and just risk our life for a revolutionary response to pain. Mm. It doesn't matter where it's coming from, who it's coming from. People are afraid and they're in pain because they don't have their self. They're not mm. affirmed. They're not coming in front of God and being seen and becoming real and everyone's suffering for that. We're all in the same thing, red and blue, black and white. We're all in the same family, Maya bodies and everybody, every living being, we're family. We're in the same struggle. We have to see like family and respond to it like family. And the human beings uh, has permission by being born as human, but especially mm -hmm. by being born in a time like we're living now, we have full permission to just pull out all the stops and risk. Even if we don't do anything in our life, but you will die coming with your heart in your hands, look, whether I did or didn't do, I gave everything for everything you care about. That's my proof that I can, that's my, my conscience gives me permission to wish to be part of your family, Krishna, Brindavan Dam. I would like to be a Brajavasi. My conscience gives me permission to wish for that because I gave everything I had for everything you care about. Not just mm -hmm. about finishing my rounds and my little, you know, my branch of this one lineage. I gave everything I had to care about everything you care about. Mm. So just so that I can come to you and say like, you know, that's my application form. Brajvasi, mm. <laughs> so high. You better show that you're giving everything for love with no fear. Mm. Or just don't pretend to pray for Braj Prem unless you're coming with a cup to catch it. You can mm. pray for it. And he's giving it for free, but you better come with a cup that can catch it. Or yeah. that's all. We don't earn it or deserve it, but we have to come with a cup that can catch it. That's our only job. In front of Goranga, who's giving everything for free, our job is to come with a cup that can catch it. So we have to think about our integrity and heal the cracks and the holes mm -hmm. so that we can catch it. That's all. It's not earning or deserving. It's just mm -hmm. how do we receive? What is the science of receiving causeless mercy? I remember at the beginning of this whole pandemic situation, I came across a saying, which was a, a, a disaster is a terrible opportunity to waste. And, you know, I was just, um, yeah, I was, I was reflecting on, on that kind of call to action that you were giving, you know, it's like, actually, you know, we, we, um we don't give our whole selves because lack of faith like you know mm -hmm. lack of faith that yeah krishna has something to do with the situation you know mm -hmm. it's it's not chaos it's not chaos yeah. you know there is an opportunity in this apparent disaster there is a you know um whether it's it's disaster on a macro level or a micro level um and I love, I love the call to action. I'm very much feeling it. And, uh, and it's, it's also, you know, it would be pretentious for me to say that um, I, I'm not going to forget about it, you know, three seconds after this call. It's like, <laughs> you know, that, that's like the, the, um, the necessity of these conversations, the necessity of hearing um, from the right, source reading the right literature um you know applying yourself in the right way is is like you said to to stay awake you know 
it's one thing to wake up but to to stay awake that's that's another thing um mm. but i yeah i i really appreciate your um articulation your wisdom your realization um your encouragement enthusiasm i'm very much feeling it i'm lamenting that um there hasn't necessarily been like a um an introduction or or like a uh who is this incredible person that's sharing this wisdom um part to to this podcast but i i really like real talk i really like this this kind of um opportunity to to like wake up you know mm. um and uh yeah it's it's incredible i i would love to hear more about your personal journey because i can hear like integrity intention realization in what you're saying um and i'm sure it's very inspiring for people that are watching as well i i want to i want to interject i have a i i i want to give this conversation its full like the full breadth and width that it deserves mm. and i have i have something that i'm also needing to attend to uh, in about 10 minutes but Tim, I want to I want to invite you back again to the Take Note podcast. Can we have you on again? Yeah, sure. Okay, I would I would Thanks, love this. Guys. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it, I think I think one thing one thing that really inspired me is just the um, the vision of of we started talking about that human life is actually meant for sacrifice that it's meant for this giving of ourselves and the that that sacrifice of of really uplifting the whole world and and that the real the real process the real path in doing that is this uh, being seen in our in our process of prayer and our process of of spiritual connection um i also like kelly feel very called i feel very churned uh, and I also feel very grateful that we've been able to have this conversation and uh, and we'll continue it. It'll, we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into this. So thank you again. Yeah, if we started, we'll have to continue because you can't, we can't finish it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not just saying what I'm talking about, but there is a, a particular conversation that is how human beings, first of all, are meant to live their life. Mm. You know, yeah, we do sacrifice and we're here for doing stuff. But the first thing about being human is this, the stories that we tell. The storytelling, the conversation that we're having. That's why like what's unfolding is called history. Mm. You know, in a kind of old school sexist way, it means like mankind's story, his story, what he's telling. So like this is Sangha. Sangha means having a conversation, but a real one, a progressive mm. one, one that has a power to move things and provoke alchemic um, reactions. I'm not interested in just talking about different ideas and like nothing changes. I'm interested in having the kind of quality of conversation that just having the conversation provokes change. Mm. It starts to affect like by laws of nature and spirit, it starts to dislodge. It starts mm. to break down calcified structures. It starts to uh, undermine limiting views until that they, you can't, you just by instinct unconsciously, you can't believe in them the same way you did before the conversation. They have been cracked and they start to crumble and you start to come out like out from a shell into what you are supposed to be doing by being born in this form at this mm. time. 
So I was thinking, you know, about action because Kaylee was saying uh, he appreciated the call to action. And there's a quote in front of all this. Just one thing I would leave you guys with for the moment that's been helping me a lot um, lately is thinking about something that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said about the world is in no need of a reformer. Mm. And he's so uncompromising about his vision of the absolute that he says, no one and nothing can deviate the course of things from their design by even this one hair. Mm. Not even one hair. That's my parampara. That's the mm. vision of my parampara. Nothing is, it's a done deal. Yogamaya mm. has written this script. Goranga is God. He gets his way. He came here to give something to everybody that hasn't been given for a thousand Divya Yugas, and it's going to happen. Mm. You know, all of nature and all of life and the Supreme Controller is conspiring for something amazing that happens once in a really long time. And it's a big alchemic crucible, this universe. And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur is like, nobody, not even one hair is throwing this thing off because he knows who's in control and that you can't mess with that. You have no power to go against that. And yet, what is he doing? But brrr, mobilizing enormous, enormous response to the movement of the hour. Mm. Enormous, like law breaking, like there's no sannyas in Kali Yuga. Boom, take sannyas, make a thousand sannyasis, mobilize, you know? He's <laughs> just like breaking rules and like doing the needful. And what's behind his like inconceivable transcendental reform mission to really change the tilt of the earth is this vision that nobody's going to change anything what's going to happen, but he has stepped into being part of what's written. Mm. He's been just that's all. No, he's not doing it independently he's just an instrument of the hand mm. of god and it was just a temporary thing it's like right now you, you know his bhakti vinod takur came and he's like namhat families villages boom and bhakti siddhanta saraswati takur he came he analyzed the field and strategically like a general he said yes and first we're going to need like a huge evangelo monastic you know like bulldozer to break things open and spread things out but it was never meant to be it's meant to carry Bhaktivinoda Thakur's vision. Mm. But it looks like he's doing the opposite, you know, by taking people away from their families, you know, making sannyasis and renunciates and stuff, which is always going to be necessary in some way. But it looks mm. like a contradiction to what he's following. But how mm. could it be if he's an integrated being? He's doing what looks like the opposite, but is exactly the response, which is why we can't be blind followers. There's a polarity of life that if we're in tune with it, we will ride a very um, useful uh, vocation that will appear by itself from like nature and spirit and the parampara will empower us to individuate and occupy something amazing. So I love, I just want to leave that about reconciling nature and spirit and healing the split of life. It's like, mm. look at Saraswati Thakur, look at our master, our like general. He's saying like, nobody is moving the divine design by one hair. Mm. And yet he's moving <laughs> everything he can with super he's just off the leash you know off the leash whatever's possible mm. he just had no limit on like what's his because he can see the design of where this is going mm. and therefore he's fearlessly stepping in to occupy um an instrumental role because he already knows its outcome so we have to start knowing that this is not a war against an enemy this is just a victory march mm. thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening. And um, we would love to hear follow-up questions and reflections. Uh, and and like we said, we will further we will further continue this conversation because it's it's not something that can be stopped or should be stopped. Uh, any follow-up reflections or questions, 
you can send it to heytakenote at gmail.com uh, or you can message myself or Kaylee directly. And we'd love to hear what you thought and what some of your questions are and what you'd like to hear more of. Um, Tim, I want to thank you again. Thank you for your friendship and thank you for being with us today. Kelly, thank you for being here and thank you for being the provocateur that you are and uh, in, in creating these conversations to be so wonderful. Uh, I'm deeply grateful to both of you and I'm de deeply grateful to everyone listening. So we uh, will oh. see you. We will see you next Thursday. Right. Hare Krishna.